Good morning. It's off topic, but um, I really, I really like the fog. I don't know about you, but uh, yeah, it's a little dicey getting around. You got to slow down. Uh, you got to strain your your eyes to see things that you would easily see in the bright sunshine, but. Uh, just seems like it was about three weeks ago I was commenting that I couldn't remember fog for two or three years. So I'm saying, welcome home, fog. <laughs> uh, do drive carefully. If God asked you to loan him a 20, would you? Sure you would. We all would. The important question becomes, what is our point of hesitation? Is it the amount? Is it that we don't trust the offer? To repay? That's usually the nature of a loan. Otherwise, we just call it a gift, right? But if, you lo if the Lord says, loan me a 20, we expect the return. So is it the amount? Is it that we don't trust the offer? Um, is it a question of what is going to be done with it? how it's going to be used. You see, there's a point of hesitation in our proverb this morning. So uh, I want us to think about that. Let's read Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Whoever is generous, well, that's, a, that's a, a statement in Hebrew. It's kind of an active statement. Anyone or the person who... In English, we would call it uh, a participial phrase. It's the one who performs an act of grace, an act of generosity, um, an act of showing favor. So it's not an exchange. It's just a pure act of generosity, expecting nothing in return. And the person who acts like that toward a poor person, we're told by the wise of Israel in this proverb, we're told that when we do that, we're lending what we give generously and freely. We're lending to the Lord. And he will repay us in full for that generous action. So the, the Lord is the benefactor 
of grace, gracious actions. I love this proverb. I really think it's a beautiful, beautiful proverb. It puts its finger on our natural inclination to be stingy. And it says to us, let me back up there. Maybe that's just me. I shouldn't, I shouldn't include you. But the fact of the matter is I've lived with myself quite a few years now. And I know that I have this stingy inclination. This uh, hesitation. It's kind of self-protective. It's a kind of a me first sort of thing. And I begin to question, and sometimes I make excuses, or I look for, you know, snags, justifications as to why I should keep my money in my pocket, keep my time to myself. Let that opportunity to do something, to, to give of myself, let that just pass by. Nobody's going to point the finger at me. And that's, I think this proverb is beautiful because it puts its finger on that in my life. And it says, when you're like that, John, you're not at all like your Lord. In fact, when you act graciously, you're drawing upon his desire to be gracious. Uh, call it a loan, John, because the Lord will repay you when you show grace like he shows grace. And so the concrete example here is also the point of hesitation. It's the poor person. Now, the poor person in Proverbs, if you look up every proverb and you analyze what it says about the poor, you will never find the poor degraded. The poor are never poor because they're lazy. The poor are never demeaned because they're unworthy. They're poor because the word for poor also suggests the idea of weaker and less fortunate. But the poor becomes a point of hesitation. I've seen that in my own life. Every poor person that we saw when I was a kid, and that was back in the 50s and early 60s, we had bench seats in our 56 Chevy, no seat belts. Dad put those in voluntarily. They were not required. And I loved sitting. I'd stand in the back with my arms on the, on the top of the bench seat between my mom and my dad. Watch the road, listen to them talk. And there were many, of, uh, many occasions where people less fortunate were stipulated as not just 
less fortunate, but less industrious, less worthy because they didn't work as hard. There was a judgmental attitude that becomes a very natural obstacle to generosity. They don't deserve help. They're unworthy. If they worked as hard as me, so why should I be generous? Why should I be gracious? And you see that that is a that throttles, it strangles grace in our lives. So we have our mouths, our arms wide open to the Lord. Grace, grace, grace. We sing about his grace, how generous he is. And we ought to. The more we contemplate the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we study the Scripture, it actually allows us to fathom more fully how gracious God is, what a giver he is, and how unworthy. We don't deserve it. But there's the rub. I find myself just, Lord, you are so gracious, thank you. Bring it on. But then, when I have opportunities to be gracious, I find this little hitch, you know, this little Are they worthy? Do they work as hard as me? Do they deserve it as much as me? You see, it is that hesitation that is signaled when it says, if you give generously, you're loaning what you give to the Lord. That is there, I believe. That is there. Because it's putting its finger on that natural hitch. And it's saying, don't let it stand in the way. Give it in the name of the Lord. Do it in the name of the Lord. Do it in the grace of the Lord. He's the benefactor of grace. He's the creator of good. Jesus said it's he who shines his sun on the just and the unjust and pours his rain on the just and the unjust. So, is it wise to give generously? Mm-hmm. It really is. And the Lord incentivizes it because he says, Just think of it as a loan. As soon as you get that little kind of bite that says, "Mm, grits grits your teeth, tightens your stomach, causes you to draw back, he says, think of it alone. Do it in the name of the Lord. And that's where wisdom is. Our God repays what we give in his name. I want to look at the Lord, our God, as a rich benefactor. And I want to look at our grace, showing of grace, as an act of rich benefaction. This proverb is not a formula. It kind of mimics it in the sense that sometimes we need to 
be reassured that we have a generous God who isn't going to let our generosity go unnoticed. The mother of the great prophet Samuel, Hannah, such a, you know, every time we do a baby dedication, I mention Hannah and Elkanah, who dedicated Samuel, and Joseph and Mary, who dedicated Jesus. But we don't often see the fact that in first and second, in first Samuel chapter one and two, what is called dedication when 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 Hannah brought Samuel. The, do you know the backstory? She she wanted a, she wanted a baby so badly. And uh, it was like a rival. Was just having baby after baby. I don't know. I maybe now that I'm where I'm at, you know, I just see little children, and I mean this. They are just. There is no child that that doesn't just brighten my heart. The beauty, the innocence, the playfulness, the creativity, the whole. You know, everything's open to them, and they are just the future. And Hannah was living in a situation where she was without a baby. And she, she prayed and prayed. She went to the temple to worship regularly and pray. And God answered her prayer. And she had Samuel. And when she dedicated him, you know what that's actually the word of? It's she loaned him to the Lord. She gave him to the Lord as a loan. As long as he lives, he was alone to the Lord. And what's beautiful about that is because of that, Eli blessed her every time he saw her. And he'd say, may the Lord bless you and give you many children. And she did. Three sons and two girls. And in the hands of the Lord, the loan of her child. I mean, how precious was, was that child to her? To loan him to the Lord was basically to give him to the Lord. And yet the Lord repaid. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Jesus teaches his disciples. Well, we have to hear that as his disciples too. So he's teaching us. He teaches his disciples to give alms. That's kind of an old idea or way of talking about it, but an alm is a gracious free gift to someone in need. That's an alm. And so Jesus said, when you give alms, do it in secret. In fact, he says it should be so secret that your right side doesn't know what your left side is doing. And then he says, but don't worry. Your father sees in secret. So do it in secret that not even you know what the other half is doing, but be assured your father sees 
He sees in secret, and he will repay you. The word for repay in Matthew chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, the word repay is the same word that's used in the Greek Bible to translate the Hebrew for repay in our proverb this morning. To repay in full. As a new believer, this stuff was really radical to me. I was 19, and because my mom was terribly ill, in many respects at that time I was living on my own. And I was really taken with this idea of giving to God. And so I would I would I was very conscious of it. And I would do things uh, so I would have something to give. I would I would not give myself what I wanted so I could have something to give to God. And then when I gave that to the Lord, that was a very special thing. That was a wavy thing, you know. And personally, I kind of miss it. I've always liked it when the offering plate went around. Even when I was a pastor, Shelly and I took turns putting our offering because it was personal. It's real to us. We're giving to the Lord. That was a radical act for me compared with the precautions and stipulations that I was ingrained with by my parents, especially my dad. It's got to be justified. There's got to be kind of an equal exchange. When I was growing up, they... Maybe you've heard that expression, even Stephen. We kind of want things even Stephen. Jesus, as I said, calls it a radical act of faith. I already gave you the gist of what he says in Matthew 6, 3, and 4. But I want you to notice the faith involved. Because we give not because we see first that God is going to repay us in full. We give because God sees in secret and we trust him to repay us. We trust him to see. We trust him to repay what nobody else sees and nobody else repays. Can we trust God to repay in full? Our answer depends on the gauge. You know what a gauge is? I mean, there are gauges that measure, but the gauge of something, well, then we're talking about like the thickness. We're talking about the size. We're talking about the capacity of something. What is the gauge of God's grace? You see, each one of us will have a different gauge. There is one gauge above all, and that is the gauge that is presented to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the gauge of God's grace. In Jesus Christ, we actually grasp the 
dimension, the largest, maybe even the infinitude of God's grace when we realize that he has offered his one and only son for you and me. And when we personalize that, then that grace actually has gauge. It has gauge in terms of how much God has forgiven me and how much God has forgiven you. If he has only forgiven you a little bit, then that's about the gauge of God's grace. Do you understand? This is a personal thing. When God has forgiven me so much, the heft of God's grace has gauge. The kind of gauge that makes little sacrifices seem small in comparison. You see how that works? If God's grace is just a little thing, because he didn't really have to die quite that much, suffer that much for our forgiveness or for our individual forgiveness, then, of course, that's, that's not much of a trade when it comes to forgiving our enemies, loving our enemies, going the extra mile. The things that Jesus asks his disciples to do in Luke chapter 6. Turn to Luke 6, starting in 27. I say to you who hear. Now this isn't just the 12. And this is a very important feature of Luke 6. This isn't just the 12. These are all wannabe disciples. Anyone who is under the the idea that he or she could be a disciple, this is what Jesus is saying to us. He says, if you love those who love you, excuse me, I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Hey, you forgot something. Come back, I've got more to give you. Give to everyone who begs from you. From one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And you, and as you wish that others would do to you, do to them. And then he has this little bit here where he says, see what... What you guys already do, and he includes me and all of us, he says, what you guys already do is you do unto others as they do unto you. So if, they're, if they love you, you love them in return. If they give to you, you give in return. This is radical. So radical that a whole bunch of interpreters used to say, oh, this doesn't even apply to this age. This is what it's going to be like in heaven. Well, that's a thin grace. We don't need to be disciples of Jesus to be like these people. We're already disciples like this. 
Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. He says if you do these things, you'll be children of the Most High. Read it. Think about it. Reflect upon it. But more importantly, for our purposes, we need to realize that what God wants of us is radically based on his grace, his generosity. We're peddlers. We're peddlers of what he's done for us. But the question is, when hesitation comes, is it because the grace that he wants us to peddle isn't there? We're relying on our own grace our own notions of grace. Our rich act of benefaction, which is what we've been looking at in Luke 6, 27 through 36, describes Jesus' disciples. And that is challenging. And I want us to feel that challenge. I want us to feel the failure Because that's where we see the grace of God. That's where we pick ourselves up and we keep trying. You ever, what is that uh, show on NBC? I don't watch it much. I've watched it a few times. What is it like? Extreme Ninja Challenge or something like that. These people are swinging and bouncing and doing all these things. They're incredibly fit people. And and they do backstories on these people. So you meet this person who's back this year. They always said that. He's back for the challenge this year. And they've done footage. And so all year long, man, like he's a teacher and stuff, but he's just every every afternoon he's got this, he's got this uh, kind of model, and he's doing all these things, and he's lifting weights, and he's And now he's up for the challenge again. And then when he falls, I'll be back next year. Right? I mean, these people are incredible. They've already pushed themselves beyond the general populace. None of us. Well, I don't know. But I would even gamble that not one of us could do what these people do. And they're failing at it because they're not winning. But are they failing? See, if we were like that, and don't you think that's what the Lord wants us to do? Isn't that what grace is all about? But we don't even try because we're leaning on things we learned with our parents and our society and the legalism of this world, the way this world operates. Yeah, it's, it's radical. It's a challenge. It's crazy. But isn't that what the gospel is? This crazy good thing? And doesn't the Lord say, hey, think of it as a loan. Yeah, go ahead, do it. Think of it as a loan. I will repay you in full. And if we are thankful, if we see that grace, yeah, we are inspired by it to realize you have repaid us. Repaid us and repaid us. You are generous beyond belief. You are good. Thanksgiving fills my heart because of you. 
We can keep trying. We can keep trusting. We can keep pushing the limit. Or we can stipulate grace and generosity to death. We have two great examples. There are others, but two stand out, like the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, verses 16 through 23. What must I do to be saved? That's the opening question with Jesus. Jesus starts talking to him. But in the end, he's already wealthy, and he just didn't want to give up. See? He didn't want... God to ding his wealth. And then there's the rich legal expert in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And he asks the same question, and Jesus starts talking with him. He says, well, I've kept all the commandments. You know, Jesus says, what's the greatest commandment? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus says, well, have you fulfilled them? I've kept all the commandments, he says. And Jesus says, uh, well, what's stopping you? And he says, well, what's the meaning of my neighbor? In other words, he's looking for a stipulation. He's looking for a condition. Love your neighbor. Yeah, but it's only... I've heard Christians say that your neighbor is only those who are in the body of Christ. Great. You know, God's grace is so fragile, we just got to spend it on one another. Like we began in a cradle of Christianity, mothered. The temptation to stipulate grace and generosity to death is a great one. But God keeps saying to us think of it as a loan. You are peddling as I am a benefactor, you are peddling my grace. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, Paul says, working as for the Lord and not for people. This really comes, you know, this is a great proverb. This, what I'm talking about, comes not from somebody who has, I have trophies of victories, but that's been my life. It's just trying to push myself, challenge myself. Realize God doesn't want me to settle down and become comfortable with the grace I've received. And he doesn't want that for us either. So, yeah. Let us be gracious. Let us be generous. Let us realize that God repays what we give in his name. I want to remind you that uh, we're going to sing a closing song. And as we sing, if you would like to come and pray with me or others that will be coming forward from our elders, deacons, pastoral staff that happen to be in this service. If you'd like to pray with any one of us, it might be to pray for yourself. It might be to pray for someone else. It might have to do with what the Lord is uh, challenging us. You know, when we hear a message like this, we may immediately feel the Spirit speaking to us about 
some area where we've become very ungracious, where we've drawn a line, and we're unwilling to go beyond that line to show forgiveness, to show Jesus Christ to another person. Might be within our family, might be within our, our business dealings, might be with someone in the church. You know, I, I hope I can be entertaining with God's Word, but ultimately, this is serious stuff. This is about what we're about as believers. So I expect the Lord to move in our hearts in very tangible ways. Consider that this morning as you reflect on what the Lord is teaching us through this proverb and through His Son's teachings in the New Testament. Let me pray for us and then we'll stand and sing. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Lord, if I have one request for all of us, for myself included, is that you would just continue to expand our hearts to have a sense of capacity for your grace. That's what changes our lives. We thank you for being so generous and mediating such grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his matchless name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.